So I'm joined by Amber Jean. Thank you so much, Amber Jean, for joining me and spending the day with me. Like, this has been an amazing day. Like, started off this morning at RX Coffee in Livingston and then meeting Ray Ray here and then going up to your guys' place and getting to see your view from the top of the world <laughs> and the studio. And I just appreciate you taking this time because I know you're, you guys are super busy. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for coming up and and putting yourself into a little slice of our world and and doing what you do yeah well you know i appreciate it, it wouldn't be able to it wouldn't be possible without like you you know and people like you so i, I really appreciate it and sharing the stories and hopefully inspiring folks and speaking of that i'd like to run through the bio real quick uh so amber jean declared one of america's woodworking greats amber jean was asked by the prime minister of bhutan to carve in the retreat palace for their king her bronzes are cast from carved wood such as the life-size bison sculpture at the Bozeman International Airport and the, ooh, is this Fleischer Museum? Oh, Fleischer. Fleischer Museum yeah. collections. Uh, Amber Jean was voted top 25 out of 1,500 artists from 53, 53 countries at Art Prize. She's one of, 10, one of 10 women inducted into the Stetson Craftsman uh, Alliance. Her work is featured on the Wood Sculpting TV series produced by DIY and the Auction Network, Pure Auction Show, her palm-sized animal sculptures cast in solid bronze are collected worldwide. And my wife is a proud owner of one of those. <laughs> so, which is super yeah. special. Like, it really warmed our house up. And it's wild because, like I said, palm size, you know, so the owl that, that you created and we got, you know, we bought from you. It, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's, you know, a small piece, but it really adds, you know, and to our home, you know. Mm -hmm. So... You're amazing. Like I said, I appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So I, I if you want to start kind of like your career, I mean, like getting to like know you more today has been like amazing and really special. So I don't know if you want to like kick off just like how you got started. I mean, like, um, I guess what didn't get left in that, out of, what got left out of that is that you were the first female wilderness ranger in <laughs> the, oh, what was it, um, wilderness, uh, yeah, the Taylor Hillgard Wilderness. Yeah, Taylor Hillgard Wilderness. So I mean, there's a ton that that didn't that I missed in that little bio. So yeah, wherever you want to kind of kick off and explain, like, kind of how you end up here. Well, um, yeah, you know that bio is like, uh, it's it's like a little, it's like a little cookie from the business part of or the 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 how I show up in the world as an artist or that kind of thing, those kind of accolades. But of course, um, there's so much behind all of that and just even the path of, of pursuing art and, and pursuing an education and everything from, um, well, I guess I'm not sure where to start. I was born in Wyoming. We can always start where I was. I was actually oh. born in Wyoming in a little tiny town called Gillette, which was and we lived in a trailer park. Yeah. And my family moved to Montana when I was, before I started kindergarten. So oh. I consider myself a Montanan and a Westerner um, just by my roots. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I was lucky to grow up here. I grew up in the town of Bozeman, which is one of the bigger towns in Montana. And um, I thought it was, I thought I was kind of like a city girl because both of my parents are from small small towns in nebraska oh. and um 
my town growing up. It's a university town. But as a kid growing up in the town, there was a, a department store on Main Street that had an escalator. Oh. You know, one of those movie sta- moving stairs. Yeah, kind of big so deal. that seemed like a big deal because yeah. our family trips consisted of going back to Nebraska in the summertime to see the grandparents and family. Uh, in cornfields or? Corn and wheat. Corn and wheat, yeah. And wheat is um, from some early memories and it's a recurring theme in a lot of my work oh, from, yeah. from, from those days. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was the beginning. And I, I knew at a pretty young age that I wanted to be an artist. I mean, I went through some of the other things that I thought I wanted to be just as you're growing up and interested in so many things and writing. Yeah. And I loved reading. So, um, and I do love to write and I imagine I will. And, but so one of the things would be to write and illustrate like children's books and stuff. So that's, I did that as a kid. I would mm-hmm. write and illustrate books and oh, that's cool. make things. And I wanted, I just knew. Yeah. You were, uh, you had the creative whatever bug or whatever you had in you like to create, right? The drive, the passion, I guess, right? It, yeah. I just had that urge. urge I think, yeah. um, I could call it a passion. I, I just, it wasn't something I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in a family that nurtured those things. I wasn't in a family that collected art or, or even valued it really. And so I guess you could say as a passion, but as a kid, I don't, you know, kids are so passionate. I guess it was a passion. I just, it felt like a calling to me and something that I felt I was here to do. For, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I thought I was special. You are when spe- I was a kid, you I know special, it's yeah. funny, but when I was a little girl, Amber wasn't a common name and people would just say, Oh, what a beautiful name. Yeah. Where did you get that name? And, and so I felt like, um, right off that was kind of, I don't know how much a name makes who you are, but just that feeling. Cause my family didn't make me feel that way, yeah. but, but people's reaction, even then, like I even made up a story uh, that had to do with wheat for my name because it seemed like it it needed a story yeah um which if i tell you you're gonna think i make up all my stories and i don't but yeah. and it came from the the amber ways of grain you know that's the song went instantly when you were talking yeah. about making up a song i was like oh i wonder if that's yeah i was yeah. like in grade school and it was like amber ways of grain i'm like oh it's so beautiful and i love the fact that it was a color yeah and so people would say ask me all the time where did you get how did you get why did you get that name that kind of thing yeah and so i said that it was a great name my grandfather was in the wheat field because he had wheat fields, big wheat fields, and he was in the wheat field when when he was somebody. I envisioned somebody yeah. coming out and telling him I was born, yeah. and there he was standing in the wheat field, and the wheat was like blowing in the wind, and it was like this light on the wheat, and it was like this thing, which is hilarious because I was one of fifty three grandchildren for my grandfather. Holy cow! I'm sure nobody went running anywhere to tell him I was born. It was yeah. probably just like mentioned over dinner you know when yeah. he came in from the fields you know it's like yeah. oh yeah and another you're, one you're, you're, one of your eight daughters had a kid her second you yeah. know that kind of thing yeah. anyway it's pretty funny that's funny no i think it's i think it's it's cool to like kind of picture something like that though you know like and because i don't we're all important in our own ways you know yeah so. and imagination's important too and it's good and connection i think i was looking for connection and when i think about that today like 
um, it could even be those early seeds of me feeling this wanting this connection to earth and nature and things that grew. And, you know, we grew up in the quote unquote city of Bozeman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which is like even. We had a really nicely pruned lawn, which yeah. my, my, my father took a lot of pride in. And, and, um, pussy willow trees that I bar I got some branches from the neighbor when he, when he, um, trimmed his tree and I wrapped them together when we planted them. So that tree grew, you know, like oh. I, I appreciated those things. So I'm yeah. not, I just think there's, this, there was always for me, this really strong draw to nature yeah. and, and connection in nature. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like my brain with a, you know, kind of having the story behind your name is, you know, very native American tribal to our ancestors, our, our ancestors of like, you got named something that had to do with what you were or are or going to be, you know? Yeah. So like, I think that's, I think it's important. Origin know? stories, Origin right? Story. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I've heard this a lot lately cause I've, I've had some archeologists and some historians on like, and just podcasts and other things I've listened to about knowing where you are. So you know where you're going, you know, or know where you've been like as a people, as generations or whatever you know your family and even yourself recognizing where you've been where you've come from because it's you don't see growth unless you look back you know true like even this you know like it's i it's kind of works out good because i was going to mention this is like when i first got this going i knew right away i wanted you to have have you on and, and raymond and i was <laughs> like but i knew right away that i was gonna be really bad at this so i was like i no, I got to have Amber on and I don't know when and I got to make sure it's good. You know, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be good because I want to be able to be Aww. a good host and, and have a good atmosphere so that you want to share and inspire other folks, you know? Yeah. So well, like, that's sweet. That's yeah. cool. I may have rushed it, but we're here. No, you did not at all. Yeah. And, and, and you're, um, well, I don't know if, if people know that Raymond's my husband, maybe you mentioned that already, but, um, I think we talked about you a little bit on the podcast, but yeah, oh, that okay. probably should say, yeah, who's yeah. on my podcast before Raymond and Sodagi. Yeah. 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 And your name, Amber Jean, Amber Jean and Sodagi, like it just has a great ring to it. Like I'd never said it full or heard it said full until Raymond said it the other day when we were on the phone. I was like, wow, that, that was a really nice ring to it. You know, <laughs> I like it too. Yeah. It's really, like it just it fits, you know, and just, it's, uh, yeah. It, I think if you look at life in a positive way and like, are kind of like, I'm, I don't know, more happy about things. Like when you hear like the stuff like that, you're like, wow, that works. But if you're not looking out like an optimistic person, you're probably just like, oh, it's a name, you know? <laughs> but like to me, I was like, wow, that sounds really nice. That's, that's perfect. You know? Yeah, well, you know, name is like I was just saying is so important, and it's a very fascinating thing to me. And my mother's name was was Betty, and like I mentioned, she had seven sisters and four brothers. And I found out later, well, she had I had an aunt Liz, hmm. whose name was Elizabeth, which I didn't know when I was really young. But Betty is a nickname for Elizabeth, so she, my mother didn't really have her own name in a way. Um, because she already had a sister named Elizabeth. So she was Betty and oh. there's not like, was it? So they called her Bets. That was like the nickname for Bets. But one of her older sisters told me once when I was visiting that, um, she, there was, there was discussion or she was supposed to be named Josephine or my aunt Jeanette, who was the oldest daughter thought she should be named Josephine. And I remember thinking, I wonder who my mother would have been had she been named Josephine. Yeah. I think it would have changed her. 
I think she would have been a different person. I really do. And, uh, you know, little Joe, of course, you know, the, the, the novel and, and everything like little Joe, like Joey, like, I don't know, it's Josephina, Fina, like, all yeah. the things she could have been. But I feel like my mother was um, a beautiful person, but also quite timid and always sort of second, like Josephine might've made her feel different. Yeah. And I know Amber made me feel special because there weren't any Ambers around then. And or maybe I'm just reading too much into it. But that's, I think it's interesting. And I thought a lot about it when I married Raymond because I had never been married and, and we met later in my life. And I had been calling myself simply Amber Jean. I hadn't been using my my birth last name for a long time. And um, and I liked Amber Jean. I was comfortable. So I was using Jean almost like a last name. Yeah. But then I re- I thought about it, and he he was like, "It's totally up to you." And I loved the Anne Sodegi, and and I loved um, what it meant to me and how it felt to me to be Mrs. Anne Sodegi. And I have yeah. no judgment about what people choose, but it can be kind of confusing with the names these days. And, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I'm with you, and I like it, like kind of like if you if it fits, you know, like uh, and you feel have a good feeling about it, you know, like like yours, you mm-hmm. know, definitely go with it. Yeah. Is, you know, and then, you know, then it gets more confusing too when like, uh, you know, if you were a doctor, you know, and you were doctor, whatever, before you became in Sodegi, uh, it's like, oh man, because all your paperwork and stuff has to change over to doctor and Sodegi from what it was. And so it could be kind of a, a, a little bit of entanglement, a little bit of headache. I mean, you could do it, but. Right. Yeah. Know, well, when I was a college student, I remember having a discussion with some girlfriends um, about this thing because they're like Amber, because they're, they're one of them who was a real strong feminist was like all all against taking someone's last name when they got married and yeah. none of us were getting married at the time we were just having this discussion she was yeah. very adamant and i was like well i don't i don't i don't see anything wrong with it like it's okay for me i don't feel like i'm losing anything but that was me and i wasn't yeah. feeling judgy about that but and i said but well, then what happens to the kid cuz you know kids have the hyphenated names and then it gets and then who's the hyphen 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 after that and like well i'm just going to let my kid choose and i went that's cool but that could be difficult. Yeah. It could be challenging. Like the family who says, you know, who's edging or the grandpa who's kind of like nudging the kids towards that name or that's a lot of responsibility. And yeah. I felt like I knew who I was. And she said, Amber, of all of us at this table, you should care the most because if you're going to be an artist, you're not going to want to change your name if you're known as somebody True. before because you yeah. have a professionally, you know. Yeah. And that's that was part of what, had me decide to drop my last name and just be Amber Jean, but I was using Jean then as a last name. Yeah. And so that I could always be Amber Jean, but I could, I, I didn't drop it officially. I still had Reinhard in the backgrounds of things, but Reinhard just never fit. And there was some other things that I felt about it. And so I just, it's like Amber Jean was on everything and it just worked that way. And yeah. And that's nice. It sounds really nice, like Amber Jean. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, it, it like even sounds nice when like someone asks Autumn about the owl, and she's like, "Oh, yeah, it's by Amber Jean, my friend." Is like, ah, oh, it sounds so nice, you know. So it sounds really good. And then at the and Sodagi on the end is you know just like a little cherry on top or something to me, <laughs> right? you know. Yeah. yeah, I really like it. And my mother's middle name was Jean, so that made that feel great. Betty oh. Jean and Amber Jean, and yeah. I felt like. Amber was sort of lofty and sort of soft and sort of out there and like this 
the smell of amber resin and perfume and oil and stone. And there's something about Jean that just kind of like drops you down into the midland, you know, the, the heartland and the land and kind of in the, and my aunt Patricia would say it with a twang, you know, Amber Jane. Amber Jane yeah. And it's just like, it just, it's kind of took the loftiness down to this, this sort of like just friendly love. I don't know about level, but um, approachability that fits yeah. and fits for me. So, yeah. No. Oh, yeah, I, t- I totally think so too. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. It, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, I don't know. better, but because we probably covered on and off about names, but it's yeah. interesting. No, it isn't. I think it's very interesting, especially like sure. with all you know. All of us come from some tribe. Eventually, what, wherever, you, how far you go back, it's going to be a tribe. You mm-hmm. know, that's backed. You know, like so. Eventually, you probably had one of your ancestors. You know, not saying you, but someone's ancestor had some name that had to do with the earth or an animal or whatever it might have been, you know, that mm-hmm. what resonated with them. So I think that's why, to me, names are important too. Cause like, and the example of your mom, you know, like kind of being overshadowed by an Elizabeth, you know, like that, I could definitely see that being, uh, you know, an, a problem, you know, yeah. like, or not as freeing having a shared name, like, you know, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, we come from tribe and then we also create tribe and yeah. I think that's all well and good. Yeah. And so like, Taking Raymond's name was part of me declaring my new tribe, part of a new tribe, the yeah. one that I was being accepted into and that I was that I was inviting in. And that means a lot. And then So Giddy family are beautiful, beautiful people. Yeah. And they have a wonderful history. And I feel so honored to be part of that tribe. I feel so honored to be part of that tribe. And I can be yeah. part of other tribes without taking their names, but there's yeah. just this extra um, pride that I get to be an Ansodagi yeah. via tribe, if not, you know, ancestrally. Yeah. Right? Totally. Yeah, I like that. Like kind of yeah, bridging the two worlds, you know, like your past and into your future, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, re- it's really cool. And the, your approach on it is, is perfect. You know, like it's really good to view it that way. And I think, I think people should, because community, we were talking a little earlier today about the like, community being so important. And, um, I think we were, yeah, it was us talking about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think with, uh, the stuff we've been through, like with COVID and stuff where we got more isolated. So I think now, especially, um, is important to to get those community bonds back and and build those b- bonds back together with folks, you know. Because I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't seen you in a long time, like since Arlie Rodeo or something, I think, you know. And yeah, because that like riff with the COVID and life and everything else happening, you know. You were one of the first people we saw when we were starting to come out after COVID. Oh, when yeah. we made that trip to the to the for the rodeo and all of that, and we were around your brothers and the families and everybody, and then we got COVID because oh, really? <laughs> we'd come out, you know. Yeah. But that was totally worth it. Yeah, yeah, and I felt the same way at the same time. Cause I think that was like one of our first like getting out and, and socializing again too, you know. Yeah. And we we didn't get it, but I was just like accepting i was like oh well if it happens it happens yeah. i'll just battle it out i guess you know and do the best i can but but you know like prepping with like you know fluids and all the things i was going to do to help combat it you know <laughs> so, right yeah you know. and and being around children and everything and actually just thinking about that trip packing for that trip is like a nice snapshot into a bit of my life that we could carry on from there but i yeah. Raymond was wanting to connect with the rodeo world again, and he was a retired bullfighter. So he has this tribe. He has this family that's in the rodeo world. And, and so we were going to go to Great Falls to, for this 
this was it national what is it uh, circuit which, finals circuit finals yep. which your brother fought yeah. as a bullfighter and um and Ray, and there's uh some ice around there to climb and it was winter oh. and I'm, I'm an ice climber and Raymond's gotten interested in ice climbing as well so he's an ice climber now too so yeah. so we're packing cowboy boots and cowboy hats and ice gear because we're gonna go climb ice and he um and there was there was an exhibit I wanted to see in the at the museum there and then there's this big outdoor sculpture garden that's outside of there and then of course we hit some hot springs and booked a room at this historical hotel that used to be a brothel so I packed some lace and it's like okay you know like this is like you know we have we have the we have the lace and we have the helmets and we have the hat and we have the belt buckle and we have the crampons right so anyway it's a full life and it's good oh it's so cool i mean that snapshot like if if you could have that in a photo is so (laughs) cool because all that it encompasses you know and all of it's uh, just amazing in its own way like you said like the history with the brothel so you get the lace and then the crampons and you know maybe an ice axe for the climbing and then rodeo Mm -hmm. stuff you know so you got like a, a different style of clothing for rodeo versus like going out and Climbing an ice cliff, you know, so <laughs> right. yeah, oh, it's so cool, but yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's just amazing, you know. I think getting the most out of, a, of an adventure is kind of what that says to me, you know, and I that's what I'm always trying to do as well. And I hope folks listening are taking that in too to like for their next adventure, you know, like taking in consideration where you're gonna stay, even you know, like oh, yeah, you know, add that new trip a little bit too, you know. Yeah. And some people are just like, oh, I'm just going to go throw a tent on the ground and go climb this thing, you know, which is okay, but, you know, you can make it better, I guess. I'm always trying to make my situation <laughs> a little more cozy and memorable, you know? Yeah, and that hotel's full of art from contemporary, like, Montanans, too, so they have oh. art hanging in the hall. So it's like, you know, after being sequestered and things, just to go and get to see and be around art. So, like, yeah. you have that history, but then you have this opportunity to be in a live gallery, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. A- you can mix it up. It's okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's another thing. I think, I, I don't know if that's like leftover from the 90s, but that seems like where it got ingrained in me is like, uh, you know, like your radio, like especially in Montana for me, it felt like it was like you're a ski bomb, you're a snowboarder, or you're rodeo. It's like you're one of the three, you're not all of it. And then like me and my brother were kind of more all of it, and but you were not as... Uh, I don't know, you know, you're, you're worried about, like, judgment and stuff, I guess. So, like, you're not as open with it. But then, like, once I got into college and afterwards, like, I don't care. You know, I wear cowboy yeah. boots. I go to rodeos. You know, I go ski and snowboard. I play hockey, um, smoke jumper. Like, I got all these things that I do. And go to Hawaii and surf, you know, and beach bum it out, you know, a little bit too. So, it's like. For sure. I'm trying to be all things, you know, not just one thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, in the 90s or something. I don't know if it was, maybe I'm blaming the 90s when I'm wrong. But it just felt like it was more of a in the boxes you know like you kind of make yourself like i'm this you know like listen to punk rock and skateboarding or whatever it might be you know and yeah and then i get older it's like i just like what i like you know yeah and i think it's okay if somebody really delves deep in a box and that's where they are but and i but also i feel that it's a tendency especially maybe perhaps western society to put everything in boxes and i know the art world does that too like they yeah. want you to be just assert like you're a contemporary you're western you're you do animal work you do you're a sculptor you're you know it it just i think people feel more comfortable with labels and things and like we were talking a little bit about medicine and medical and like things get so so separate you know in their boxes or yeah anyway it's just 
no judgment, just just a way of looking at things. There's a reason for that, and like we have yeah. the filing cabinet when you or the what is it called when you go to the library? Rolodex. Roll, not no the library cards. Oh, um, um, the the. Oh, like you're looking for books? Because look, we haven't been in a library. Because yeah, we're, yeah. we're we're on the internet now. Yeah. Um, the like, like the Dewey Decimal System, or to look at books? What is it like? Yeah, for? the card file, and when you go to the library, your your um, listeners are gonna just be. Hopefully, they figure it out. Because I yeah, I wish know. I could help you. I'm, well, it did use the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, because that was like the how you found like. But it was called the uh, anyway. Yeah, I, was, I can think of Rolodex is all for filing. Um, yeah, no. But when you go to the library, you go to the card file, but the card file is called something, and you can look up by the author or the title oh. or the subject. You had all three. You could choose anyway. Oh yeah, well, I'll always look it up. Man, I wish I could help you out, but I'm, I'm, I'm no help on this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like just shotgunning things at you, and you're like, no, oh my bad. Uh, yeah, I wish I, man. I know what you mean though. Like you said, like you go to the card file because like. I remember before I figured that out, especially as a little kid, I'd just be like wandering around and I'd wonder how people could find books. And then I think in one of my classes in like second or third grade, they're, t- you know, we were taught to like, I think they gave us a title of a book and then go find it, you yeah. know? So we'd go to that kiosk or whatever it was, you know, and file through until we found it and then go get it and bring it back to the teacher and we got marked off, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it has a, has a purpose. It's yeah. okay. I'm not, I, what I'm saying is it's okay to have labels and that kind of thing and boxes and. I don't know. We just kind of got off on a tangent, I think. Yeah, we yeah. Roll, roll into something else. Yeah, we definitely can. And yeah, I think, but like you said, it's good because it's part of the tribe, though, of like having that identity of like, you know, mm-hmm. if you're like just country rodeo rancher or whatever, or skater, you know, but like, you know, whatever, you're, you know, whatever you enjoy doing. But like to me, I like to be into everything, I like try everything. So like I want to, you know, someone's. I don't know, out in a cornfield doing something. I'm like, oh, I've never done that before. Like, let me go check this out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, I guess, as a human. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, like, uh, I guess I wanted to cover Bozeman. And then, did you go were you from Bozeman to Pennsylvania? Is that how that went? Yeah, well, actually, I went from Bozeman to Europe. So I, oh. um, yeah, first I, I went to Europe. I... Well, there was like, you know, the exchange programs when you're in high school. Yeah. And I just wanted to get out and see the world. And um, I decided that was, I mean, that was just like a way to do it. I didn't have a family that did adventure things like that. So I applied to two different exchange programs and I was accepted by both. And one was going to send me to Italy and one, the other was going to send me to Germany and I had to make a decision. I was doing it all with my own money because I didn't have the backing of my parents. So I was working to save enough money to, to do the program fee or whatever. And I'd written this check that was like the biggest check I'd ever written at that point in my life. And I, to go to Italy because I thought, well, that's probably more art in my mind and top of my mind than, um, than Germany or I just, and I thought, I don't, I, I just was thinking of, I'm not sure. But then I got a letter that night before I mailed the check um, from the family in Germany that I got placed with, and they collected art. Oh. And I thought, oh, that's important. If they actually collect art, like then they're actually involved in art. And actually German, I have a German heritage with the name Reinhardt, and oh. I knew people who spoke German because the Lutheran Church in Bozeman, we, and there was beautiful German people who had, mig- who had 
who'd come over from the war that I admired highly. And, um, and I thought German might be more useful than Italian. I didn't know anybody spoke Italian. I don't yeah. know. So I, just, I, I ripped up my check and I wrote a check for Germany. And then I, and so I went off to Germany and later I got a letter from the family in Italy and it turns out they were a little village near the Alps oh. and all girls and I didn't have any sisters and I, they lived above the bakery. He was a baker. Whoa. And so it's like, that's one of those road, like I took this road and who would I be if had I taken the road to Italy to this little village? Had Would I have discovered mountaineering sooner in my life oh, and yeah. climbing sooner in my life or would I have just eaten a lot of... <laughs> Baked, baked goods, and, yeah. but had sisters, you know, I don't yeah, know. Like yeah. I would just started studying the martial arts and they were actually into the martial arts. It was super oh. interesting. And then I went off to Germany and this, um, family that took me in and it was, it was, um, I did learn a lot and, but it was, a, it was a big hard transition for me. I remember in the, in the beginning, like feeling super alone and alienated and, and this is, you know, we didn't, it was, it was airmail. It oh. took a month. It took two weeks to get a letter over here and then like two weeks to get an answer over there. And it was it cost a lot to make a phone call. And so I could call home like once a month and and um and it was cold and there was no sunshine. Like oh. not much of a blue sky ever. That was hard for that'd, me. That'd be tough on me. I was up in northern Germany. Oh. Yeah. And so but there was beautiful things that happened, and of course, it was really transformative and and um, and a good thing to do. So I went from Bozeman to to Germany when I was seventeen, and did traveling over there. And then I came back and had a few small scholarships, and started school at MSU, and was um, keen to get into to just like do art school I had this idea about art and European training and that kind of thing and so I applied for a couple art schools and the one one um the two I applied to I was accepting to one was in Chicago and the other mm. one was in Philadelphia well somebody told me that um yeah so it, it's also just like a couple of um accidents almost that happened that helped get me and to where I ended up in Pennsylvania, and I went to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. Oh, wow. But somebody had talked about an art school in Philadelphia that was really amazing, and I had the opportunity to be there. So while I was there, I was at the museum where Rocky runs up the steps. Oh, really? You know, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great museum, but of course, it, it, I don't know, there was a thing about that, and then I asked one of the docents who worked at the museum, this sweet little older woman with her hair up off in her head, I remember asking her, um about the art school. Where's the art school? And she goes, well, which art school? I didn't know there was more than one art school. And I was like, oh, no. um, the best, you know, the art school. Yeah, the one. The, the best art. Oh, yeah. she said, you must be talking about the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. Oh. And it did not sound familiar, but I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. That <laughs> must be. That's the one. That's yeah. got to be it. So yeah. that's the one I applied for. Well, it turns out that I don't think that was the one that had been recommended but it was the one for me, and I'm glad. Yeah. And so, yeah, I got accepted, and I, I got like this f almost f full scholarship, and um, and then you had to, you know, get there. And like a charged Greyhound bus ticket, and it took five days. 
on a bus. And you're how old? <laughs> Dude, I was in my early 20s. Early 20s? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So, Super. Well, I, yeah, I was, I was, I, maybe I was 20. Man. Somewhere around then. And um, yeah, and get off and... And I think I was telling you I ended up living in a nunnery because yeah. um, I just had a couple hundred dollars and it wasn't enough to get a, an apartment. But I found out that there was uh, this nunnery that was rented rooms to girls for wayward girls, not really yeah, wayward, wayward girls, wayward. but just girl, you know, like a week at a time. Yeah, there was these rules. There was a curfew, which was oh. which I, I messed up the first week and got locked out like my second day there or whatever because they shut the door and locked them and there was like a guard and. And I wasn't used to a curfew having lived on my own for a lot, enough time that, um, and he, I'm just looking at him and he wouldn't let me in. And I'm oh, like, whoa. So that ended up in, in a wonderful, crazy adventure being, you know, out all night. Yeah. Nowhere to go. Just, well, I was, I wandered the streets and there were homeless people, you know, it just isn't something that in cold climate Montana that I, I saw that much, not that I, I saw, I had some experiences in Europe and stuff, but there was like this, but I, so I kind of migrated towards light and center and then I heard music and I ended up, oh, I, I, there, I was outside a theater and it was intermission. So people were coming out to smoke oh. and it was a play. And so I just walked in when they walked in yeah. like I was supposed to be in there and found an empty seat and it was a warm place I saw the second half of a play oh, cool. and then when the play got out I came I was out on the street again and I didn't know where, and I kind of like followed my nose or my ear there was this, I heard music coming from this one place so I walked over towards it and I and um this model in my drawing class like I, I had literally like two or three days into school recognized me oh and um, and I recognized her because I'd drawn her for four hours. Of course, I, yeah. I had drawn all of her for four hours because yeah. she was a nude model in a class. Yeah. And here she was, and she was a wild thing. And so she, so I started dancing with her, and it was all this head-banging music and oh, all this yeah. stuff. And then she invited me back to her place to, to spend the rest of the night once this place closed. So I, I didn't end up just sleeping on the streets. Yeah. But I did end up on her couch, and she... Um, was keen to make out. Oh, yeah. So she likes, <laughs> likes you more than friends. <laughs> she had this pierced tongue, and I was yeah. a little curious. And I, I um, didn't want to bum her out in, um, you know, art school, the whole thing. Like, I was, like, kind of open to it. But then also, like, uh, at some at one point, it, things didn't seem like they should go any further. It was a good mm-hmm. idea. And so then I – in which bummed her out. So then yeah. I did end up back out on the streets and I was oh. like not on the streets anymore. We were somewhere way far. I could see the, I could see the tops of the buildings that were center city where I lived, but yeah. that meant I was somewhere outside of that. And I just had to I'd aim for it and make oh. my way back. And in the dark. eventually in the dark yeah. and like, you know, there's this tribe in Africa and I don't know what tribe where they're the runners oh. that can cross huge distances in crazy fast amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had heard or read about them and they had this way of looking way ahead and using their peripheral vision so they wouldn't have to waste time looking down and hopping over things and they they, they were they had really um exercise that ability 
to use peripheral vision. And so I, I would do that in the city. Oh. I would look ahead so that I wouldn't have to engage with people to be look like a target. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, sense. kind of thing. It's not like I didn't want to engage with people. Just in certain situations in, in places like that where there were things like there was this crazy guy coming up and just like freaking out. And I and and now I, I, I as a I would feel more confident engaging. Yeah. But as you know, as a young gal from Montana, no, it I, seemed like a good idea to be folks. Anyway, so I got back just yeah. in enough time to get into into um the nunnery and change clothes and go to school but dang wild night anyway yeah but no i know the exact feeling you have like about like just going forward and cruising because we took our class trip to san francisco and i don't know how it ended up happening but somehow whoever's in charge of the trip uh booked it for um one of the hostels in the tenderloin district (laughs) so it was pretty gnarly and a bunch of like little podunk whitehall montana kids (laughs) you know and i like an idiot, I show up in this super skin tight, like uh, tank top thing, you know, and like shorts. Like, I'm like, I'm going, we're going to the beach. And then, like, we just keep going into the city. And I'm like, whoo, all right. And so, everyone was real friendly with me when I showed up for that, the hostel. Me and the my, my rest of my crew were dressed about the same, you know, uh-huh. like, yeah. don't know anything Montanans. But then, like, the next morning, you know, we go out, we have like a trip planned every day. We're going somewhere, you know, and, um, and there was a lot of homeless people out there in the Tenderloin district and a lot of people with mental illness and, you know, battling with it. So they're pretty wild. And I noticed that too. And I'm pretty friendly. I'll be on contact typically and like say hello, especially in small towns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're walking down the road and if I made eye contact with any, not anyone, but most of them, if I made eye contact with most of the homeless people or the people with mental illness, they would engage you and they would come, you know, like to you. So I was like, it was definitely better to peripherals, straightforward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like now I, I mean, I just was so like, we just weren't exposed, but now I really appreciate and try to engage to a certain degree. You know, it's just something you sort of, because they're human and they don't, they don't get to be seen and you feel like the unseen. And I feel like it's, it's, it's important, um, to not, to not not engage but you know there was just that that unexposed being new being young and um not knowing protecting and survival and yeah so yeah because like for me i did not i didn't know how to react if they reacted so like now that i'm older and i've been through a lot of reactions and stuff and i know like what i I can kind of expect and there's enough space between me and them that i'm not that worried about but as a kid it's like oh whoa whoa you know all this energy just coming popping off the sidewalk at me i'm like oh whoa you know yeah like that not one that you know it's like overwhelming and but now i'm older and been a little more worldly it's not not as bad but it's funny the periphery thing when you were talking about it i I was thinking about us on like for those runners you know it's it makes a lot of sense like don't burn any other energy like moving your head a bunch just like straightforward and and use the peripherals. Like for me, it was kind of the opposite for hiking. If we're going to like a long, like one of those death marches on a fire, mm-hmm. I was just like right in front of me in the dirt. And I know you're not really supposed to do that, but if I like looked up, it would just like wear me out just looking at the end. No, you know, just like, yeah. The, I mean, there's, it's, it's different situations call for different things. And I totally mm-hmm. believe in that as yeah. a, as a, as a way of navigating. So sometimes navigating would be, you know, this general direction, but I think also, what you're talking about with those those late night marches when you're fighting a fire or when you're climbing like rock climbing and if you're thinking about the the total objective you just 
you have to be in the moment and you're just trying to find the one next move. And that I think is a good analogy also in life. And also like even in the studio for me, sometimes if I'm in the moment and I'm just thinking about the one next move, then it's a very focused thing. And sometimes it just like with rock, sometimes you can't find it. Like you're reaching out with your hand and you're just like trying to figure this out. And then maybe you just might need to shift your body just a tiny bit. And then, and then, oh, you can find that hold that you need. Sometimes it's not like, and sometimes you have to take big leaps, right? So it's like, it's, we have these skills and we get to use like the big, uh, the, the, you know, the, the power tools or the hand tools and, and the, you know, being willing to dive off or dive in and also pulling back and being in the micro moment and paying attention and in, in that and, and that sort of meditative focus that you might have, especially if you're at night doing one of those hikes in with this, you know, endless, you just have to be, you just, you just have, you just have to do the next step yeah. and you don't know if you're going to be able to really make it to the top, but you just do the next step. Yeah, exactly. I got this one. Yeah. I got this one. Yep. Oh, I got that one too. I don't think I'm going to get, oh, I got that one. Yeah, there we are. Here we go. Get a little closer, a little closer. You know, I'd be telling myself as I was going and, and during rookie training, kind of do the same thing. You're just like, all right, I can do this all day. No, not a big deal. I can do this all day. And just like keep the mantra going, you know, and even if it was like brutal. You know? Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> Man. So then how long did you go to school in Pennsylvania? I was there two semesters in two years. So I, I, I ended up showing up in the second half of a semester. I was second half of the year for the second semester of the first year. And then I went back after a summer in the woods, which was also like wild transition, right? Yeah. You know, that summer I was working trail crew with one other woman. We were the first female trail crew based out of the Bozeman district. And um, I worked some like an extra week just to make a little bit more money before I got on the plane to get out there. And the, that time I flew out. Oh, nice. For the long bus ride. And I flew in, and I had literally been in the woods the day before with a crosscut saw and leather, you know, boots, firefighting boots, you yeah. know, and the whole thing. And then I show up, and um, I had gotten a roommate. I had moved out of the nunnery partway through the previous year, and I was, I was just sleeping on her kitchen floor. It was just like a still two-room place and she's all excited for me to be there and she wants to go out and I and so she's like pulling clothes out of her closet so we can go out and and um yeah that's another whole story I could go off on a tangent but it's just like to be from one world to another so quickly yeah um middle of nowhere woods kind of slow pace to like city going out and yeah going out have a new roommate confess her that she's fine (laughs) with you too or whatever like oh i might be finding a new place to live and and then i was looking out the window in the kitchen because it's so loud like everything's so loud and when you were you spent the summer in the wilderness you you don't have that level of sound and it gets dark like in the city it doesn't ever get dark and the sky to me looks like you know this like these my mom used to get coffee in these folder cans and the plastic lid would get kind of grimy looking in the in the sky night sky would just look like that you were looking at the top of this plastic coffee container you know like it just didn't have that clarity I couldn't see stars I couldn't at night and so I was looking out the window feeling really disoriented and 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 we were just one story up in the alley below and there were two people that were 
just about ready to commence making love right below my window. And, you know, I was, I was watching and I thought, man, she's really flexible. (laughs) And then I get to paying, oh, it was, um, it was two guys in this one transvestite prostitute who worked our corner. It was him and this other person had a skirt on and, oh, oh, you know, yesterday I'm in the city, you know, like yesterday I was in the woods and now I'm here and, and it's like bing, bang, boom, like full on in to this whole other world, which is a, is an intense world, but they both have their intensity. And some people from that world would freak to be in the back country alone or whatever, which I was more comfortable with. And I always yeah. felt less alone in the wilderness than I did when I lived in the city for me. Yeah. That resonates. Talk with me. about disconnect and not making eye contact and that kind of thing. Like in yeah. that for me feeling like I needed to protect because it was not, not my environment and and the energy i think cities have a wonderful intense like city energy mountain energy river energy ocean energy like those are some of the big ones yeah and they're huge but for me and i think this is personal for everybody for me the city is better in small small doses yeah and it's kind of like a like a shot of whiskey yeah like i'll get off i'll land in the city and then and then when I get back on the plane, in some ways, I feel like I'm kind of a little reeling and a little wobbly and a little, you know, just a little, little disoriented from, especially back then when I wasn't doing it as much, like yeah. reeling a little from. I get a little bit too, you know, like uh, just going down to Tijuana for, you know, my stem cell treatments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopping on little plane in Missoula, going to Salt Lake and it's like it, gets, it builds, right? So you get like Salt Lake's big hub and then san diego's packed and then you go to like tijuana it's packed and it's like I'm ready to get back to small small town montana by the time i'm done with my week you know <laughs> okay yeah so all you said what, what all you're saying there really resonates with me because i kind of felt the same way like you're in this big giant you know pot of people but like for me it's not uh it's not my energy so it's it's more draining than building but i've heard like people say the opposite though where they go exactly to like new york that you're know, like no one sleeps there it's constantly bustling and it and it you vibe off it, and then you do more because you're, you're you're getting the juice from the city, from the energy from the city. And like for me, it'd be the opposite. It'd be I'd be getting drained. You know. Yeah, like, exactly. I think it's good to to know what feels and what what might um, make one, you know, take energy or whatever. But it's yeah. also good to mix environments and not just stay where we're comfortable. Yeah. I think that's really important. And and when you when you do go and mix like that then you come back with new eyes like you know you 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 pay attention to your world in a new way also because you've and you you might have more appreciation but you might also see it like somebody who from like from the outside would see it and so i do think that's um a blessing for it's a real privilege to be able to travel and and it's not something that everyone gets to do and i don't get to do it as much as I'd like, but it's also, um, even environmentally, like I, 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 I kind of wonder, uh, uh, I want to be intentional about it when I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Same. And just like take it in and I would try to look for the positives, you know, cause it's easy to, especially 
you know, going from the country to the city, it's easy to see all the negative and, you know, mm-hmm. so I try to like get something out of my trip, you know, in, in oh, a positive yeah. way, you know, versus like being like the, the traffic, the people, the loud, the whatever, you know, like absolutely I try to focus on other things, you know, it's all there, but, and you can be energized and I am, yeah. it's like, um, you know, you know, with the firefighting and or, or like going for a summit, it can be hard and um, draining on some levels and you might have to recover from it afterwards, but, but it's worth it and it pushes you beyond your norm and, um, it's, it's, it's worth the recovery. Like just staying where you're comfortable and then that zone isn't, isn't for me the way I live my life. Like I want to push those boundaries and then you see, you go to those places and then, and and then you come back and you recover, but then you're also richer and you have all of this new, um, like you said, vibe, new perception, um, a lot of appreciation and, and, um, connection to so much. Yeah. And all the things like the little, uh, smaller benefits like that come off that, you know, like, uh, the accomplishment, you know, and then, but when I get down from like a summit, you know, like I, I'm like, yeah, I've been on top of that, like, you know, around Whitehall. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, man, I've been on top of that tabletop and on top of that brownback, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I got these places I can point to that I know what it looks like up there. But also, like, directly after I get down, usually I am drained. And, like, we were talking about sugar before this. That is the time when I will have, like, uh, like, Caspel Creamy makes his chocolate milk, like, something like mm-hmm. that waiting for me because my glucose, like, my blood glucose is down. Like, I need some sugar and, like, some, <laughs> some kind of quick calories. So I'll have, like, something like that, and, like a peanut butter and honey. And usually like in a thing waiting for me when I get back and then I go home and make like a big meal and then sauna or, you know, if, if I'm super sore, I know I'm going to be wrecked. I'll do like maybe like a CBD bath. Mm. It's just like such a good like wind down from this day and I get to kind of reminisce on, on the adventure, you know. So I, I, to me, it's so um, beneficial in so many different ways and just being on top of a mountain, I guess, you know. Yeah. yeah. But getting the view on top of a mountain is, is pretty cool, too. That's, yeah. that's why I'm getting up there. But, you know, the rest of it, the, the smaller things that, that come in too is, is awesome. So it pushes me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to keep derailing us. But so Pennsylvania to, did you, did you have more on Pennsylvania, I guess? Or? Yeah. And then, you know, college was a, um, it took me longer to go through college because I, I, I had to make money to go through and um, I did all sorts of jobs. And I had a round of, um, of, uh, mono. Oh, dang. And I think it came from some stress, um, and it was an insomniac and some other things happened. Um, there's a lot, some trauma after a horrific, uh, accident and that kind of thing. And then I ended up with, with mono. And so like I ended up having to take a semester off. You know, things like that. Yeah. You know. Um, so, th- yeah, then um, all the different jobs. Yeah, I guess I was, was going to ask you the jobs. Uh, how'd you get involved in the foresters? Like um, it was, a, you know, there's a lot of summer jobs that can happen, so that can it's helpful with school. Yeah. Um, uh, I had the Forest yeah. Service is perfect for that, you know, seasonal yeah, work. Yeah, Forest Service and the BLM. I yeah. was officially hired by the BLM 
first and um, to do some to build part of the Continental Divide Trail. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. It was. It was. It was. It was pretty. That was, has some stories. I didn't. I didn't stick the whole summer out. I was part of a four-person crew, and they had hired um, the district had hired wanted to bring some f- female, you know, women in and. There's like this whole way, you know, with the government of how you get paid if you, and um, they they really there was a Vietnam or there was a vet who who was going to run the crew, yeah, and then there was um, the other gal was a had grown up on a ranch, so it was like they, what is, what is it the, the the levels that you get paid like whatever G- three GS GS two GS one two three. Anyway, since I was brand new and just being pulled in, I was the the lower level. And um, this one gal, they gave her a higher level because she came from a ranch, and they just valued that as like a potential hard worker person. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, it's interesting how we have these ideas and classifications. But she was really out of shape, and she was not. She couldn't even hike to where we were supposed to start the trail. Like she was, she was. We had to take care of her, you know. Yeah. And and the vet person, unfortunately, was having some real issues with, had never relative crew and had, was, was dealing with post-war trauma and that kind of thing. And so I ended up like running this crew, not on purpose, just because to get stuff done. Yeah. And, um, my, we would go out for five days at a time and, um, my boss, when we came back in after like the f- first or second week, he said, he just really he called me in and he really appreciated what I was doing and he knew that I was running the crew and and that um, he w- he was complimenting me and I says well thank you can I have a raise I felt like since I was running the crew I should get paid as much as the person who was supposed to be running the crew yeah because <laughs> yeah. they were two levels higher than me and and I was taking care of the person who was one level higher than me and doing like double the work. And um, he said, God, I'd love to do that, but I can't. And uh, and meanwhile, the Forest Service offer, had offered me another job working as trail crew with just um, one other female, just the two of us. And they were going to pay me more. Yeah. And they were going to pay per diem. All that oh. stuff matters when you're, broke. I don't know, when you're broke <laughs> and trying to put yourself through school. So, yeah. I, so I jumped ship. Yeah. So I was only two weeks on the Continental Valley Trail, I think maybe three. I don't know. And then I jumped ship and I just started working on this other with this other woman, and and um, that was the beginning of trail, of like the Forest Service stuff. And then the next summer I was on a fire crew. Oh yeah. Which was also sort of an accident. Really. Yeah, I didn't apply. I I had a boyfriend who um, had invited me to go climb Cotopaxi and Chimborazo, and I wasn't a climber then. I was I was new to all that and. And uh, he didn't have to work. And I wasn't sure about taking the summer off because I needed money. Yeah. But then the idea of going and climbing over there was, I, I was really keen. And, and, and I thought I should be able to sacrifice for the relationship. Anyway, I didn't apply for summer jobs. And then he got invited to teach a surf camp out on a, on an island somewhere. Oh, really? And, and to go on down the Grand Canyon for three weeks at the beginning of the summer. And I couldn't do oh. that because my brother was getting married in the middle of that. So he took off. Oh. And 
I remember I made breakfast for all these people who were leaving for the Grand Canyon and I didn't get to go on the adventure and uh-huh. and I just finished my finals the day before and um everybody just left for this great adventure and um I thought I was going to climb Cotopaxi and Chimborazo and now all of a sudden he was going to be coming back from that adventure and leaving the country uh-huh. and I get this phone call random from the fire boss from the district based out of West Yellowstone and he said hey, are you looking for a summer job? Pretty crazy. This is like, they were trying to find some women. They were trying to get some women into some of these jobs, I think. Because he said he had um, was out calling around. I found this out later. He was calling around and he asked if they had knew of any women and he wanted a female on the crew. And um, they said they had this pair who had um, worked for on trail. And he said, well, which one could pack the most hose? (laughs) Yeah. Looking for a strong guy. That back. sounds wrong. Yeah. But, and uh, they said Amber, so he called me. Yeah. And I, 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 I said, what do you do if there's not a fire? Because I want to do stuff. Yeah. I don't want to come out and just wait for a fire. And he's like, oh, no, we do projects and stuff. And so so I packed up. And so when my boyfriend came back, I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. you take off in your ventures and leave me. Yeah. 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 That was the beginning of the end of that relationship, or maybe the ending had happened way before that. But anyway, yeah, yeah so then I was f- trail crew, and I was the fire management officer, which was kind of funny. And yeah. um, That's awesome. Yeah, I got to do some firefighting and things, and then I was offered uh, to come back the next summer as a wilderness ranger. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's that was cool. the creme. Yeah. The creme de creme yeah. for me, as far as... That was that was not an easy job to quit to go full time as an artist. But when I but it, at the same time, doing a seasonal job wasn't quite enough money to live, you know. So it was like I just when I when I jumped from that, you know, to to full time artist, that was kind of a a big yeah leap or whatever. Yeah, big jump for sure. And how I guess how did you know? Like were you just like all right this not make ends meet here. So if I go full-time artist, then maybe I'll make some ends meet. And, and then the ceiling is kind of, it's not really limited like it is in the fire world. You know, like um, you can get, you know, you can get higher in the fire world, but it takes a while. And you're still like only, you only make so much a year, you know, and you're yeah. gone all the time. So like, I, yeah, I guess like how'd you, did you just had a gut feeling? It wasn't, it? well, I think um, it wasn't quite, it happened more, it, it happened more, it wasn't like I just stopped and thought about it. You know, I I just graduated. I went straight off that summer to be a wilderness ranger for the summer. Yeah. And then I started to have this idea that I had this idea about the time I was graduating that once I did my summer job and once it was over, then I was going to get in my little Ford Ranger truck and I was just going to drive into communities around the state, little communities, and ask around and maybe... I had this idea that there was perhaps a rancher's widowed rancher's wife who might need some help. Oh. And because it was a ranch and because she was widowed, there would be a shop full of tools that was no longer wasn't being used and that maybe I could then have tools in a shop and I would help her out somehow. And sometimes as I was imagining this possibility, which I thought was a very real possibility, but then yeah. I would kind of go off on my own tangent that, that, that she was a very um, worldly schooled 
with the library oh. rancher's wife, who then also wanted a travel companion. Anyway, so, that was my plan, was just to go off and find a place to um, to where I could exchange living quarters in a shop space for um, working around the ranch, and then I could start as doing art. Yeah. Instead, what happened is at the very end of the summer, being a wilderness ranger and spending my time alone in the backcountry, I was sent on a fire um, in the crazy mountains. And as part of a two-person saw team. And it was on this fire that I met this logger, Cliff. Actually, three loggers, Cliff, Ralph, and Mo. And Cliff and I became buddies. We ended up working together on the fire. I ended up being a swamper for him um, on the saw team. And, um, yeah, he when I, when, when I got back after that fire to the district, he'd left a message for me and said, hey, you left your axe in my truck. You want to get together for a drink? Which is just kind of led to a friendship. And he's the one who lived at the end of the road and had built this cabin without plumbing and electricity and had a tractor-powered sawmill that he had sawn all the... He'd sawn the logs for the cabin and then he'd sawn the boards for the floors off of the logs in the tractor-powered sawmill. And this is where he lived. And um, he'd also created a small cabin it wasn't a cabin in the log cabin sent more like a shack because it was plywood and it was on the very top of the mountain so his his cabin was at the end of the road and then he'd created this other smaller like shack basically on the tip top of the mountain that was literally cabled to the rocks so cool on the top of this mountain to keep it from blowing off down into the yellowstone yeah. river a thousand feet below just like a lookout actually tower. more than a thousand people his cabin's a thousand feet above and then this was even higher so he built it because he thought it would be a good place to wake up and um be able to harvest an elk and um he offered that as a free place for me to live then at the end of the summer. And that was a great, all I needed as an invitation was this free place to live. So then that was the winter. So the next spring, my boss who, who had hired me as a wilderness ranger had moved to a different district in Alaska and, oh. and was interested in having me come be a river ranger there, Definitely. which was pretty damn tempting. Yeah. But I was, I was, had gotten dug in a little bit, and um, this old guy across town, Smokey Houston, who lived in this trailer park with his sweet wife, had this little shop he was letting me, this wood shop he wasn't using anymore, so he let me use, I had this wood shop for free, so I had a place, a free place to create art and a free place to live, and um, my monthly overhead was $200 a month, and $101 of that went to my school loan and so i had some freedom there yeah and a base camp you know you got a base, a base camp, camp. Down. yeah and if i left for alaska then i i would um be losing the momentum i had started in the studio over the winter yeah and so I mean, yeah it, was, it just sort of it wasn't like i knew knew i just i just yeah it was a gut in the moment but it wasn't super thought out way ahead of time I guess, you know. I like how it all came together, like, you know, like the found a place to live and then you found a place to work, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. all, you know, all that you could afford, you know, and to, to get your, like, springboard, your jump start, you know, like to your starting point, I guess. 
simple as you could say. Yeah. Yeah. And then having the fire background, the saw background, and then like you were telling me earlier, like Cliff being a logger for forever, right? So and having his own mill. And then, because uh, we were talking about this earlier, so like I have somewhere around like 16 years of, of experience and um, in the fire world, you know, it's fire, fighting fire. So like a lot of that is running a saw. You know, especially as a younger, strong back fella. And that's what I want to do is run saw a lot. And we're talking about the difference, though, of like how we run saw getting trained by the Forest Service versus how a logger runs saw. Yeah. And so, yeah, the skill that being able to get under that wing is huge because a lot of times when I'm out there, at least when I used to be, when I'd be out there with the uh, contract followers, which are typically loggers can't log anymore because of the fire too dan- you know the fire season's too dangerous so like their operations shut down so they come out and contract with the forest service to fall dangerous trees and mm-hmm. it's just like effortless form and they're just to me they're so much better um with with the saw their techniques their the way they sharpen at least the ones i was running into so like t- i'm a little bit jealous i guess is what i'm saying <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, experience. I know because like we were sharing earlier when I when I ended up working with Cliff on this fire, he had a 36 inch bar on his saw, which is damn impressive. It's right? long. Yeah, it's out there. And uh, it was not a big deal to him. Like it didn't yeah. didn't look big on him. It didn't he didn't wield it like a big saw. And and um, he had skill. I found out years later, like he would never brag like he's just, you know, that was one of the things that I also liked about the smoke jumpers as I was working ground crew and smoke jumpers are always that I got to work with or do things with were always trying to talk me into coming over to their camp, you know, their yeah. tribe. Like you yeah. need, you should you should be one of us, the smoke jumpers. And there was a, there was a lot about that I love, but one of the things that that was that was intriguing and that was compelling, but one of the things that I appreciated about my experience with them, at least this crew was that they didn't brag. They didn't need to brag. Like they were they were solid in who they were. Yeah. And they were loving what they did. And they were pursuing because of a passion. And um that what that is my tribe. There's something so anyway, Cliff yeah. obviously he didn't like break, but somebody told me once that there was an article in the paper, the Livingston paper, it was not a big paper, but there's some article I'm not sure if it was about him in particular, about loggers as a trade. But he was known, and he could saw 300 and some trees a day on an average daily basis. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a tree lover. Big time. My work, a lot of, of my sculptures that I feel really strong about are working with trees that have been killed in forest fires. So saying that feels like the wrong picture to give of Cliff, this person whom I ended up calling the Zen logger, because this man was more connected to wilderness and woods and mother nature and the natural cycle of things without human intervention than what a person who would want to stereotypify a logger as somebody destructive would be. And in fact, he had logged some of the property that he had up there, which 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 I now have the fortune of owning and 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 sharing with Raymond and living on. Yeah. But the way he logged it was in this natural way that mimicked what Mother Nature would do with a fire, like coming through, leaving patches of trees so that they can be 
homes for forest animals and, and doing it in a way that it wasn't just clear cutting and that, and he, he wasn't, he wasn't like that. He wasn't yeah. of that tribe. And, um, it was something that, yeah. So I just, I just have to clarify that part about him, but yeah, seeing him and seeing him saw on the fire. And then I asked him if he would teach me what he knew. And then I got lazy about certain things because having him in my life after that, having moved on the mountain, like I was telling you earlier, then I got, I never was good at sharpening his chainsaw and he was so good and so fast that I just got worse. Cause I would, he would just keep my saws, keep them all sharp, you that's know, for awesome. me. Yeah. yeah, man. That's so cool. Like that's my pre- saw leprechaun. Yeah. That's so good. And especially the stuff that you do, like the real intricate work, you know, like, and I'm not sure if you're doing with the saw, but like I, I saw on your, your, your webpage or Instagram of you, Cutting into one, one of your big, uh, look like a reliqu- rel- reliquary? Uh-huh. reliquary. Yeah, am I saying one that right? Big t- reliquary tree pieces. Yeah, yeah, it looked like you were cutting into it with a chainsaw. And I imagine, like, yeah. if, at least in my experience, the sharper the saw, the better, you know, you, it cuts easier, you get a better cut, and all that, the stuff that goes along with it, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I was, I was actually in that picture using the chainsaw for texture. Oh, yeah. And I should have pointed that out when you were up there earlier. But um, so the t- those trees were sawn on a sawmill. But opened up but then and then i would use power tools to carve on them but then but then i i i can i would get to where i could create a really beautiful texture with a chainsaw as part of my so sometimes i would saw 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 you know and remove a lot of wood and be able to remove it fast and that was a thing but then maybe this was a feminine approach to the saw but i could take a saw and with a with sharp teeth and I could create a really feathery texture that was just that I think is really beautiful. And so that is something that um, I continue to use in my work. Yeah. No, I think it's great. Like, all, oh, yeah. your, your work's so amazing. And I kind of, I didn't want to jump ahead, but I, when you're talking about like tribe and stuff and we were talking about connections, um, you just take me to your clock. Um, what, what's the name of that piece? Yesterday's Tomorrow. Yesterday's Tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, Man, and I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but the story that you told me behind the whole thing, like going from like this idea into like tragedy and almost being the end of the project to it being an opportunity, like I thought it was incredible. Yeah, well, I, um, there's a period of my life where I participate in this show called the Western Design Conference once a year that took place in Cody, Wyoming in September. And I would take, um, each person who participated in the show it wasn't an art show per se. It was more craftsmen, like people who worked with, um, well, there's a huge show that happens in the museum, the, an auction every year, that time of year, and the Western Design Conference piggybacked on that. Oh. So people who flew in like on private jets and stuff for this art auction would also then attend this other conference. And this other conference was a lot of craftspeople from across the country who were really good furniture makers and jewelry makers and clothing makers and work with antler and, 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 um, these materials who were juried into the show would bring a a piece for the show. And there was, competitions and and it was became really well known it's like this top kind of show for that in the country so I became part of this show each year and you would take I would take a piece and um compete and have the piece for the show and then I would book commissions usually at the show for the rest of the year and the commissions allowed me to work with materials I couldn't afford on my own and they allowed me to do things that I to push to push push my boundaries and other or my my skills in new directions and um they would bring in the money I needed to 
for my life, but then to also like I would basically buy myself some months to do my own piece again, my own work again. Oh yeah. And so the, um, the p- piece, that piece you're talking about yesterday's tomorrow was a piece I made one year because I wanted to create a piece about the wilderness in particular, about my feeling of the wilderness and bring the wilderness in, in a way that people could experience it and, or have a sense of it the way I had a sense of it. Yeah. And I had created a piece before called um, Spirits Untamed that was a bed that it was about the West. And it was like, I was really trying to have people have an experience of the West. So instead of just creating a sculpture, I created a functional piece, which was a bed that was larger than a normal bed. And it had horses that were almost life-size carved. And it had juniper, which is a very Western wood to me that that lives in harsh conditions and it gets it, 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 it gets bent and stuff from the environment. And I I wanted the bed to feel big like and grand, like the West, so when you got into it, you had that feeling of yeah. how great grand and, and how this, and so there was this whole thing. So then the next, not the next year, but another year, I wanted to do the wilderness. And that was like taking people a step deeper into the world that I get to experience out here where Western to me is more civilized. It has something to do with people living, not civilized, but like, um, what's the word? Just, it has something to do about people. The West is people moving into like being on the land and um, community Um, on the land. And the wilderness is another step further from that. Um, So, I wanted to bring in an animal for the West, which, I mean, for the wilderness, which for me um, was the wolf. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to help you plug the the West thing. It's, it is tough. It's like it's more like in contact with humans. Settling, and settle- like settlement, people yeah. coming out, settling. There were people who lived here before who weren't coming out to settle. Um, but there's something about when I, t- when I hear the word West that has, and I, for the animal I chose for that was wild horses. Because there was something about wild horses, but then there's this domestic part that, so so there was like this, both of those those two worlds, and then for the wilderness, it's just another step. So then there, so and part of wilderness is also fire, yeah. And having come from the world of firefighting, then you know there's this idea of manage wilderness management and managing the wilderness, which is like trying to manage mother nature. And yes, now wilderness is under management because of civilization because of people living around in in on the border on the border and that kind of thing and people look at fires as a bad thing and a negative thing but fires in their natural state are as part of how mother nature does housekeeping and they need to happen and because we haven't allowed them to happen in certain places now they're like happening on these more huge levels because they haven't been allowed to happen on the smaller levels but also like Things did happen on big levels, but there weren't people around, so it wasn't that part of tragedy, you know. So, yeah. so people have this negative concept when there's not; it's not a fully negative thing. And the truth is, like, life is cycles, and life we come, you know, there's birth and there's death, and and everything is cyclical. And Mother Nature has these cycles, and and destruction is part of creation, and fire is part of life and so I was trying to I was playing with all these concepts trying to bring them all together wanted to make a piece and when it came to the idea of like um, managing wilderness I thought time 
to make a grand a, 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 a clock with time, which, which would also show cycles, but make us think about the future in the past, yesterday's tomorrow. Like I feel like today, tomorrow is tomorrow's affected by yesterday. Yeah. And, and so there's this cycle there and I just wanted to kind of bring some, um, some attention towards that and intention about that in this piece. And so the clock had to be bigger than a normal clock and bigger than a normal grandfather clock. And so I call it a great grandfather clock, which has just an extra level of that reverence and then I brought in the wolves, and then I had this beautiful piece of juniper that Cliff had found for me that was exceptionally large for juniper, especially in this region. And I had had it sawn in half in a certain way, and the whole clock was designed around and was going to be sandwiched between these this juniper. So there was the two halves of the juniper on this clock, and the wolves would be carved like almost life-size, one inside the clock, one outside the clock, with the trees inside the clock. And... Um, I don't like sanding, and I'd hired the sanding out to be done by somebody else. I just don't like sanding, and it's boring. It's a mess. It's just boring and mechanical, and just there's. And I can see where it could be meditative for somebody. It's just not my 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 jam. Yeah. I like chisel marks and having my hands on wood, and and so I had hired that part out to somebody who I'd hired something similar with before, who knew what. I wanted and how I wanted some parts of the juniper sit polished almost like you would polish a stone, but other parts left very rough and, um, and natural in that state and aged. And anyway, this person took longer than I thought, or I called to check on it and his brother answered the phone and told me that the person I'd hired had gone to help, to help on a fire and, I'm like, oh no, because I was I had a deadline because the, the the Western Design Conference would be happening and I couldn't change that date and yeah. I had to have this piece, and I had a carpenter I'd hired to make the clock body for, so that I could carve it and that was in the works and it was based on that this this log and um, I freak out knowing that this log was in somebody else's hands that hadn't been trained by me and knew what I wanted and Cliff took off because it was in another town and took off to go get it and rescue it for me and brought it back and it had been ruined I thought it had been ruined because he didn't have that touch and that fine touch and he'd, he it was very mechanical and he'd hit parts of this naturally curvy wood where it shouldn't have been hit with with like the edges the descender and all of this and I I told you I start crying. Yeah, I don't blame you though, because you had, you had these ideas and this plan. Yeah, yeah, and it was ruined. It was just ruined, and I'm like, it's ruined. And Cliff, <laughs> who hated it when I cried, he's like, it'll be okay, honey. It'll be okay. We can fix it, honey. And I'm like, you can't fix it. It's wood. Like as a carver, super. Um, one of the things about carving is you can't put wood back on. You can only take it off. So you have to be very. In- you have to be very intentional about it, and and this this would have been. You, I wasn't. I was. You can't put that raw, barky surface back on. And um, yeah, no way, it would never look right. No, you try to glue it or anything. Yeah. It's like really expensive yeah. firewood, and I was like, oh, firewood. It's just burn it, and I went, oh, burn it, and I grabbed a torch. A propane torch that I had in the studio, and I just started burning the parts that I considered 
fucked up. Yeah. And then as I was burning it, it was getting black. It was beautiful. And it was just like, and it was a very cathartic. And the whole process of what I was intending to go into when I started the piece ended up the piece forced me to go into it in a deeper way than I had even imagined. And this wood got to where it was really black. And then the parts that were polished were really light and light you know yellow and light and gold and 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 it just it just it had that beautiful contrast and so it was like even alchemically what happened at that stage in the project um or what happens with fire and what happens with us and as I was telling you like in the creative process for me at least what I've found and what happens over and over and over again is that no matter what like I'll start off with a vision and a direction and these ideas and and then there's but there's this this um whole character of the materials i'm working with and the process that's beyond me it's outside of me and it's sort of a dance and i have to know when to get out of the way and let my partner take over and then like it's like this dance of 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 being able to complement each other, you yeah. know, but then just like in a lot of things in partnerships in life, there's times when you don't get along at all. And it just like brings you to your knees. But in the creative process, even if I'm not in partnership with the piece at a point, it always, always comes to a point where it's got the better of me and it's broken me. Like I am just like at wit's end. And I think like when you're talking about the death marker march or when you're talking about mountaineering, like, what we've experienced in those worlds can do the same thing where you're just brought to your edges of rawness and not sure. And somehow you have to dig deep, but in the creative process, right at that moment, at some point in that horrible, horrible, horrible place. And by horrible, I just mean, you know, I feel like I've lost it all in the vision I have to give up on or whatever, right? Somewhere in that destruction and death and, and, and everything where I feel I failed is where it just starts to come together again. Yeah. Like, no, um, I don't know if it's too far to say like rebirth almost, but like, uh, to me it was, you know, encapsulates, encapsulates what you mentioned earlier about fire, you know, like it, mm-hmm. fire comes through and especially an area that you've, you know, like, especially for us growing up in Montana, it's like a spot where you may have hiked and spent a lot of your time and all of a sudden it gets burned over and if it mm-hmm. burns hot, it just wrecks everything. And you're like, Oh, it's over. But then you give it time, and, and as fast as spring comes, you got green, you got plants coming back, you have mushrooms, you know, life mm-hmm. is back in there. And then yeah. just a couple of years later, you got the regrowth of you know, lodgepole, um, uh, pea pine, you know, like whatever, dug for whatever is in the area, you know, tamarack, larch, western larch, you know, and, and yeah, it's it's back, you know, it doesn't take a long time, but at first, that the first yeah. tragedy of the fire, wildfire coming through, and you know, like, the sanding incident, it's just like, oh, it's over, you know, yeah. like, this beautiful thing's dead, but it's not, it's, it's just no. changed for a minute, you know, and then yeah. that's, I mean, that, the burning it, I mean, I don't, I didn't have, you know, I can't, like, look in your brain and see exactly how you had a vision for the original with the patina and the, you know, bark mm-hmm. on it, but man, seeing it right now, what it is, yeah, Holy cow. It, it looks needed amazing. to be that way. And it knew that. Like, you know, it just like that needed to happen. And yeah. there's just there's always these gifts. And I even if you look over the trajectory of a life, like I've had some really I've had some serious hardship and I've had some real trauma and all those things are what made me. And in those and in those places, like I got to be 
discover even more who I am and be like released from things I thought I should be that kind of thing. And also community, like that's where we take care of each other too. In such, in some, in some direction, in some, in some ways in life, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I just know that it's better to embrace it. And I honestly, like most of my work, whether, no matter what series I'm working on, no matter what medium, no matter what I'm doing there, a a lot of my work has to do with this dance between the dark and the light. Yeah. And I think that's what I noticed in your work a little bit too. Like, um, I didn't really say it, but this is one of Amber's pieces here. Uh, (laughs) But the amazing thing about this, and I, I wish I could kind of show you with my hands, because it's like the size, the original, if I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Amber, the size of it is like, I mean, it's like a little square, right? The the size that you originally did. Yeah. And then you had a, a fellow blow it up like this, and which is wild to me, because if anyone, especially like our age, because we kind of grew up with like scanners, like, you know, in the primitive stages, to get anything from back in the day to blow up, this would be blurry as hell. Exactly. The eye would be gone. You know, the ears yeah. wouldn't make sense. You never could do that, yes. technically. So the clarity in this is amazing. Yeah. And this is one of, your, one of the more, like, lighter pieces, I would say, just in what I've seen. But then you have the other pieces that are similar, you know, that have the light and the dark. And, it, oh, the, yeah. the, the blend is amazing to me. You know, the contrast. Yeah. And, you know, just like you're saying, you came from, we came from the time where if you if you did want to do a reproduction of anything you had to make it smaller because you couldn't make it bigger because we didn't have the quality and I didn't actually ever intend on I didn't know you could make so the original was like three inches by three inches and the one we're looking at is like 18 by 18 inches which is a lot bigger and I didn't know you could do that I didn't know technology had gotten there he had just done it on his own so when I went back to pick up my pieces after having him photograph them so that I would have a record of them um he had just done it I didn't even recognize it at first when mm-hmm. he first picked it up and I was like and then I went what the oh my gosh and yeah there's things that show up in there that don't show up in this small one and I was so tickled so it was just another thing like community and going back beyond what I knew possible and having somebody else just say see that in his own in his own studio and decide to blow it up and show me Yeah, he didn't talk about it like just the possibility and what was there. And then what happened to like these light little pencil marks that end up being big strokes on a piece when you blow it up that big, then they get to be looser and there's a different energy, which then can, it's like somebody teaching you new dance moves. So now going back in the studio after seeing something that I did small become big, then I like, Oh, so on the big, big might be, you know, that move. Yeah. Whoosh, you yeah. know, kind of thing. So yeah. Oh man. Yeah, more more in your toolbox, you know. Like Exactly. That is yeah, I never thought about it that way. Like that, that yeah. well that's what's cool about like you. I I mean like I think I kinda said in the beginning, like how much or maybe I've just been saying all day, I'm gonna keep saying it. Being around you and Raymond is amazing because of that, like the way your brain works in that, like you're not rigid. And I don't think you really can be to be an artist that right? To be rigid on ideas, like you I maybe. think you can be I think I think for sure you can be, and I think some really some artists are very methodical, and there's a thing about that. And I think, yeah. I don't know, part of the process. Yeah, I think it can be, but I think it's, I think, personally for me, it's better not to be, and it's into to, um, you know, any profession. I don't know about profession. It could be a profession, but 
you know, people talk about flow state. Yeah. Where you get you get so into the state that there's there's that you're part of something bigger. And that bigger that something is moving through you and you're just an instrument then I think for me, um that's something that happens in my work sometimes. I was wondering. And it can take work. Like just any like yeah. you take somebody who's surfs big waves. And there's this amount of training and work and all the times they fall and all the bones they break. And there's like all of that stuff. And, you know, there's the piles of wood chips and the, you know, and, and the, the tired muscles and all of that. And just all the hours it takes to, to be able to master something or, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I like the word master. I don't really, um, but like as a musician, you might learn chords so then you can let go of the chords because then you can play with you can go beyond you know that kind of thing anyway so yeah i think there's a that that the accident the happy accident the allowing the tapping in and having something come through you the yeah do you take breaks like if you're hitting a wall with something or you're like well Mm -hmm. i'm done for the day i'll come back to this tomorrow or later whatever do you do that I think there's also something that is a good question because there's there's two answers, yes and no. Oh, yeah. So there's a time to push through so you don't and you just keep working and that's a good thing. Yeah. There's a time to step away, take a moment, take a breath, take a nap, take a walk in the woods. Um allow allow that that space to between allow dream between that kind of thing and it's a fine line i think i I'm, i keep going back to mountaineers and maybe uh, it's the time of year or something but I think so yeah um i think you get better at that fine line of when knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them like yeah. you get the more you push that edge the better you get at at making that decision in the moment, the instinct, do I go for the summit? We only have this much light. There's a storm coming. Do we have enough time to get down safely? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth losing everything? Because I, this is something I want so bad that I'm going to go for it. And, and, and I, and I do. And, and, and I don't think there's any right or wrong way. And I think sometimes with my work, the risk in the studio is just that you that you you have a mess and you and you and you fuck it up, yeah, and you ruin something. And then in my case, sometimes that ruining can be months of work and lots of money. Like I told you, I had eighteen thousand dollars in that great grandfather clock Holy before God. I even packed it up into a trailer and hauled it off to a show. And you know, I didn't even have I didn't have indoor plumbing or electricity in my home. Like my cabin was basic, and I had credit cards, and I had this I had this dream and I had this belief that this piece had to be made right and that it would find a home but um so you take these kinds of risks but so the when that when that tree was felt like it was so ruined at that one point I had everything and beyond everything financially in my life in this piece you know and so I mean we take certain risks and there's mountaineers who will say it was worth it like they they might not have come back and there's ones who haven't come back that that 
that made a choice. And so those are big questions and these are, this is much littler, but you know what I'm saying about like, sometimes you take a break and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you make the wrong decision in that moment. And that's, that's okay too, because what is it they say about um, making mistakes? You know, like uh, the knowledge you get from making mistakes. How does that quote I know. Yeah, I'm fuzzy on it, but I know what you mean. But you only get that knowledge by making, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, it's... Like learning from failure kind of deal too. You only get it by failing. So it's like... You have to be willing to, to mess up. So you have to be willing to to push it and play. Yeah, and risk it. And risk it. And there's also something to be said. Some of my work is really meditative and it just happens a little bit at a time. Like the series you saw today with the Secret Keepers with... I call it the Secret Keepers series with the turkey with the skulls yeah, and they're very meditative pieces. So they're just happy. And some of these pieces, when I'm working on them, the layers, the painting, like we're looking at, um, the layers happen over days and weeks. And so I'll come back to it. And like, I think maybe like someone who would be working on a poem or something, but sometimes you just like, and the poem's right there. Yeah. So it depends. Makes sense to me. And for me, I, I kind of, um, akin to uh working on uh cars Mm -hmm. so like i I read this book uh zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance Mm -hmm. and it yeah and uh and one of the things i I grabbed from that was that um walk away from something if you like hit this point like you were kind of talking about like and it was like a frustration point where you're doing more damage than good and but like you'd have to know that in yourself so it's you got to kind of get there and so i had ruined some things before and i remember the clutch cable went on my motorcycle and i just happened to be reading the book at the time and I was like, and it was, it should have been, it's one of those stupid things. It's just a cable. You attach it at the grip and you attach it at the bottom, you know, where, where it goes into the clutch. And you're like, should be super easy. Not a whole lot of work there, right? You just got to snake it through the middle of the motorcycle. And I was like, all right, I got this. And then like got into it like an hour in. I'm struggling to get the old cable out or something's happening. Like just all these things that's making it twice as hard. It feels like a gremlin's in there like mm-hmm. working against you. And then that builds up my frustration and I'm on the verge of probably breaking something and having to repair something else. So luckily I just read that part in the book, not the like the day before or something. So I was like, all right, we're done today. Mm-hmm. So, so like I put everything down, left, went back inside, came back the next morning and I was already like, I was still, you know, a little bit of like frustration. So I was trying to like go in easy, got like some really chill Hawaiian music on <laughs> and, um, had my dog with me, and we were just like hanging out, open the garage door, and we're in Arizona, and uh, it's, only, it's my only way of transportation, so like I need to get this thing fixed so I can actually like go places, only mode of transportation, so I uh, get in the zen mood and like flow, like that flow state you're kind of talking about, like it's it's not the same as like producing something, but it was like more of a flow state as in like things went super smooth, my mind was right, I had like slept on and solved some things in my sleep, I think, some problems, yeah. and then I went back after it, and yeah, no problem. Things went and flow. And next thing I know, I'm on my bike in like no time flat, you know? Yeah. But yeah. If I would have kept at it, oh, there'd been some damage done. <laughs> <laughs> that bike would have been in bad shape, you know? Absolutely. But I've had other yeah. times where like, you know, I'm, I am fighting through it. And it's like, well, I don't have time. Like, I'm not that frustrated with it. It's just taking longer. And it's just like, you just keep pushing and get it done. You know, like little projects like this Airstream and stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. very, there's covered a lot of mouse debris in here i was on hands and knees getting it all out you know so like that was just the time thing and i knew it so i had like a meditation going into it and i knew it was gonna take me all day and then some and it did and but now we're in here using it so right. yeah it was worth it yeah 
Yeah. And I guess, um, I don't want to keep you too late, but um, mm-hmm. do you have anything you want to cover before I ask you another question? Oh, I didn't know if you, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if I left you hanging on the clock or anything. But, um, I guess I, no, I, I, I had a couple good. of questions. Because like yeah. in the clock with the wolf, I didn't notice it until you said something because like I was just looking at the whole picture of it. And then when you zoom in and you see like the two wolves and when you talked about the one wolf looking at the other one and it looks like it's kind of like a fire scene behind it. Right. Um, when you explained that to me, that was like, I don't know, that seemed like to resonate. It was like really powerful to me. Um, I guess, could you explain that a little bit, I guess? Well, um, when I made, when I made the piece that, so there's a wolf carved, a life size wolf carved on the inside of the back of the clock. And she's looking out towards the wolf that's in the front of the clock, and he's looking out, like, for safety. She's looking to him for the signal, and he's looking out yeah. for her, the signal. So there's a relationship between the wolves. And there's, there's um, you know, wolves run in packs and have families and community. And, and that was also a part that I wanted to bring into the piece for um, to is something I was speaking towards. And... Like, just like we were saying afterwards, like the story, the clock has its stories and, and there's all these thoughts I have a- about it and, and a vision I have towards it. And then as, as it's happening, it's its own thing as well. And things come out of it that, that deepened it, like the, like burning the log on the, on the outside of it, that yeah. just take it deeper and allow it to be. But to me, what makes a piece successful in the end is if, that piece has an essence that then others relate to and feel feel moved by um, or connected to or have a spark that uh, that means it's successful. Like they don't necessarily need to know those stories about the piece and it's nice and it's fine and it's fun and it's good. And, but but they can come into it and just feel that essence with them, like, yeah, as a relationship, like, and 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 respond to the piece with their own stories, and um, that means a lot to me in my work. And I like yeah. hearing what other people have to say. When I took the clock to um, this show, and I had everything hinging on it, and we were just Cliff and I took it, and we were just fueling up with credit cards and you know I was strung out way this was a long time ago and like when I was living off $200 a month and I just charged $18,000 on one piece you know yeah. um one of the most meaningful moments at that show that happened to me was when a person who had seen the clock had just been so moved by it that they brought if it was a friend or a relative to see the clock and this woman was blind she was this beautiful elderly small as in smaller than me like this 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 kind of delicate woman who was totally blind and this gentleman brought her back to see my clock and so she asked me if it's okay to touch it. And I always think it's a compliment if my work incites people to want to touch it. I, th- I don't have a problem with that. I like that. I want, I, I want that 
that them to want that intimacy. And I'm like, of course, certainly. So I watched her with her hands, with the wolf that was on the outside of the clock. I watched her, her hands go along and feel, see the wolf. So then I asked, I opened the back of the clock and so she could step in and, and, and see the she-wolf in the back of the clock. Yeah. And I watched her, and she turned around with tears running down her face, just running down her face. And she reaches out her hand for my hand, and I took her, her hand inside my hands, and her hand was smaller than my hand. My hands are rough, you know, working, working with the hands. materials that I work with. And yeah. I was I was holding her eyes in my hands, right? Yeah. And she was so moved and she just said, Thank you. Oh man. Thank you. And um uh there was it was a moment when I felt so much love from her and I felt so humbled and so thankful, right? Like, it seems crazy to do what I did and spend that kind of money to create this piece. But for her to be able to see it, she didn't need to know the stories. She didn't even need to have eyeballs that worked. She had beautiful eyes, by the way. Like, I got, I was looking into her eyes. I mean, they were beautiful. They were just... um, they couldn't see, but she was like so full of sight yeah. that she saw. Kind of feel the warmth even. She saw this piece, you know? Yeah, and I can't think of too much of a, I can't think of a better compliment right now. You know, like that has got to be just the most fulfilling, amazing thing because you gave a gift to a person who probably did not expect that going in, who wasn't looking for it because they probably didn't even know really it existed. And to come along in your piece and then also to have permission by you to touch it because a lot of people don't want their their pieces really handled because you know what might happen and i I understand that part too but i mean for that lady to be able to get in there and feel it and whatever experience that she had with it is so powerful so amazing and you were able to help that you know and and be part of it that's that's huge yeah then it was like super validating and but it was i don't know about validating is weird but when i look back over the years like when i think about what i do and what matters to me, it's like moments like like, like the very first sh- exhibit of my carved pieces. I told you I was working with trees like because yeah. they were selling, you know, the district where I was working on trail or a fire crew was selling firewood for five bucks a cord. And I could get materials, yeah. 20 bucks, like four cords of wood, quite a bit of, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of wood. And so I'd made these pieces and had them in the show and um, and. Uh, in the lobby of the plant growth center at the Montana state university. And then I found out that like writing teachers were bringing their classes in to be amongst the work, to write, to be inspired by it and just to write creative stories just from the pieces. So they're, they're living beyond. So that's the whole, that's the point, right? Like in the end, by, by just listening and pursuing what I feel called to do and I can get caught up in the, in the, the 
thing in my head am I what I'm doing valuable should I be doing more important work should I be you know that kind of thing especially nowadays like we're limited on resources and 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 everything and but then when I think about these moments and I and I look back at like people being touched and moved people when I had pieces out at the at the um show that you referenced in the bio where people would come and bring other people like the janitor from the from the lobby from the plant girl center brought his family you Mm -hmm. know like so i like the fact that the pieces cross different different types you know they're not necessarily in a museum where just maybe certain people go to museums i like the idea of public art i love i have nothing against museums and i love having my pieces in museums but Mm. i love having them in places and like as furniture where people touch like the piece you're talking about the airport where you know the people are invited to actually interact with a piece because I made the bison also be a bench. I didn't make a bench and carve a bison on it. Like I made the bison a bench, you know? And so, yeah, that stuff, it's important. It's, that's, that's, that's why. Yeah. And then I'm just thankful. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, like you said, it's kind of hard to put in words because it it is, um, it's super rewarding, right? Like, cause, um, you're doing these high end pieces that you're able to make a living off of. And then you're also able to share, the emotion and everything that you put into it and the time with some other, someone else, especially like me, who is, I really enjoy art because I am so bad at it. Like I had art class mm-hmm. in high school. I took, you know, different arts, uh, gen eds in college and, and just messed around a little bit. And my brother has a little bit of art, artistic talent. And my grandpa was pretty artistic and did a little bit of carving and, and some other stuff and that was, you know, artistic and trying to all the stuff he did, but he did some like wood carving stuff. And, um, and it's just totally like, just didn't get, didn't get to me you know like mm-hmm. and I, I, it was fine but I, it makes me appreciate it more you know mm-hmm. because it's like this it would be absolutely impossible for me to do <laughs> i could be right next to you and you could be coaching me through it and it would not look like a uh, it wouldn't look like a rabbit and it wouldn't look like you know a moon or you know any, anything close to it you know is that a moon would you say moon yeah it could be a moon could i think moon. of it miss very i think of it as a moon that's, that's sure. what I was thinking too. That's where it went with me. But I guess, yeah, I want to like say what it is because it could, like you said, it could be different from somebody else. And then like on the part, you know, we talked about earlier about kind of sharing your art. Um, the, the owl that I bought for my wife from, from you that you did, a um, little mm-hmm. sculpted bronze owl, um, how, and it fits in your palm. So like how it warmed our house, you know, mm-hmm. like just having that tiny, the tiniest little piece coming to our house, you know, and like how amazing it was. And just like when you put it in your hand and how lifelike it is and it just, it feels warm itself, even though it's a cold piece of bronze. Mm -hmm. But on that line, when Raymond was talking about the other person who got the the same owl who uses it at their clinic and people come in, they hold it all day and it gets warm. And then when she leaves at the end of the day, it's still warm when she puts it back. Like Mm -hmm. that is so cool to me that people like get some peace in that piece, you know? And then, Mm. yeah, like we were talking today, like the idea of just like, since my wife's pregnant and then like, just like anxiety, the day to day hormone stuff going on. It's like, Mm. yeah, I'm going to tell her to start maybe carrying it around with her, you know, Mm. just to have it, you know, and grab it if she needs it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's the, that's the intangible things that, um, art is, you know? And Mm. I think sometimes people get away from it because they're just like, ah, just like, proud of having this piece on my wall but i don't know if they sometimes really relate to it i guess maybe i don't know maybe they see it and they're just like mm-hmm. they brings them somewhere mm-hmm. yeah i get i get emotion yeah. from it i guess and i think it's okay like 
sometimes pieces come into our life and they they're meaningful for a while and then it's okay to move them on too like yeah. with anything like then pass it on like i it's um some pieces you don't ever want to give up maybe but you don't know i, yeah. I don't think i know like I, I do know that I haven't committed to a tattoo because I'm not so sure that I want it forever because I am switchy. Like in like yeah. my work, I work in a lot of different mediums and I just get pulled in different directions. And I, I could just, if I had just kept making carved horse beds or whatever, um, that probably, I probably, you know, would be a grand living or whatever. But I didn't want to, I didn't make a horse bed. I made a bed about the West yeah. And I didn't want to just make horse beds for me. And so sometimes like business wise, maybe, um, you know, it's good to be a certain to just stick with one thing. But um, when I just being true to who I am and how I work, I, I, I follow that um, the where the passion takes me, where the where the invitation lies that intrigues me and, and, you know, it's like, come, you know, yeah, the, come, let's play with me. Yeah. Come they're climb com- me on this mountain. There's certain mountains you look at and they're just like, they are, they're beckoning. They're like, come, come, come. Yeah. And it's hard to ignore that, you know? Yeah. I never even thought about it in that sense too. Cause like, uh, what I was thinking about was like, this podcast was kind of like knocking and it kept knocking and it kept knocking. And I was like, I, I need to do this, but I was, I was nervous, you know, like I, yeah. to me, I'm just like some knuckle dragon firefighter, right? Like I used to throw my body out of a plane at the earth to put fire out. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not, doesn't take a lot of brain power, you know, like, so <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if this is for me, if I'm just going to sound like, you know, some, you know, dummy on a mic. So I was like, but I knew I wanted to do it. I don't know why. I just like, mm. it kept bugging me. So like finally I did it and it reminded me of the story you told earlier about the raven, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, I, you know, like I didn't say it at the time because we were getting on other stuff. But I was like, man, I, I definitely had that before, you know, I read, and it, I don't know if I didn't do this. I don't know. It'd probably be bugging me. I won't be able to sleep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's good, though. Right. Yeah. Like, um, and I honor you for for stepping in and and facing those fears because um, they're real. Yeah, they're real. Like, who am I to go think I can? carve wood or whatever like you know who am i like those fears they're they're real they're legit but um listening to that voice and being willing to 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 bumble and whatever your way through like sometimes there's some freedom in beginning something too because you're like ah i don't i don't have to i i obviously am not good at this i've never done it before so you can just like jump in you know but there's this thing um uh, about courage, you know, when, um, when the Oprah network, that show was called fearless women that they came and wanted to do a thing. They wanted to do an episode about me on this show called fearless women. Oh, really? And, uh, I, when the crew showed up up there on the mountain, um, I said, well, maybe it was even before then. I said, I'm not sure why you want me on the show. I'm not fearless. Like, I scare myself all the time. I said, I just do it anyway. 
maybe you should call the show Gals with Gumption. Because oh. it's like, it's not about being fearless. It's about feeling the fear, admitting it, and doing it anyway. And what the doing it anyway could be because you have this urge, you have this passion, you have this feeling you're not going to be able to sleep if you don't do it. And you might fail, and who are you to do it? You said you're a knuckle drake. I mean, yeah. that's like... Um, not giving yourself enough credit for who you are, you know, also it does take a lot more than, it does take brain power to jump out of a plane. It does. Yeah. And, you know, land and not, and you know, there's so many factors. Yeah. To be able to make it down. Yeah. Yeah. A bag of tree instead of getting between them. So your shoot doesn't, you know, all of this stuff, like there's a lot and there's a, there's different kinds of brain power and there's a lot of like common sense and tapping in that that being a smoke jumper requires and i think we all have our our own unique purposes and our own unique callings and we if we can allow ourselves to be brave enough to pursue them yeah despite all the voices because we have those in spades right and we have those in crowds and and the voices just happen and then if we can do that anyway and be willing to be foolish and be willing to 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 be klutzy and be willing to maybe not be good at something um yeah the beauty on the other side and i think that um that's that i mean why why else are we here yeah Totally. Like, I, yeah, I feel like creating is like part of it, you know, like, uh, as humans, we've been doing it forever, you know, like Mm -hmm. whether it's a bowl to eat out of or, um, a vessel to keep food in or, you know, whatever it might be, or just uh, like keeping, like uh, I saw one down by Sedona where, uh, this archeologist, um, Jason Nez, I believe is the fellow's name. Great. Awesome guy. Took his time out of his day to take us firefighters into the spot where a lot of people have never been to show us this, these cool pictographs and, and explain what he thought they were. He's like, you know, it's kind of like your artwork though. He's like, we don't know, but this is yeah. what I believe it is. It's just from all the other ones. And we just see these symbols and we see them recurring and they're significant. And from what we can tell from this one, it looks like a hunting scene. You can see like the people dressed up like animals and the other like people trying to herd the animals somewhere. And then you look at like archers here, uh, waiting for the animals to come into this like enclosed Canyon. So that's what we kind of think it's like depicting a hunt. And it's like, man, this is cool. You yeah. know? I love that he admitted that he's not sure. Yeah. Because there's so much history that says this means this and this means that. And that I feel like that's so, um, and, and I mean, like another person could look at the same scene and see these are people dressed like animals, but maybe these are people embodying their animal spirits or their spirit animals, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Like we don't know, or maybe there's shamans that have had this vision that, you know, like there's so many things that it could be. And I remember, yeah. um, in college, in one class, something, and I was reading a, a, a archaeological kind of like book explaining this image on some like Mesoamerican pottery or something, and they they were saying this is a warrior, this is a warrior, or whatever. And I'm looking and I'm like, that warrior has breasts, you know, like, yeah. and they were they weren't even seeing them, like it wasn't. I wasn't making them up, you know, and it's yeah. like, so that could be a warrioress or a priestess or, you yeah. know, and they were like, this is this and this. And I'm like, well, maybe like there's so, so, so I think admitting that we don't really know. And I, and I think right along those lines, like, you know, like the equivalent would be graffiti 
spray painted underneath an overpass. Yeah. And say however many hundreds of years from now, thousands of years from now, the graffiti because of our the kind of stuff we make paint out of is still there. Yeah. And the overpass is still there and, and the rest of because we've demolished the rest of our civilization. So people see this, they're are they're digging this stuff up and they're like, Oh look, this is a crossroads. So this was a this is a holy place or, and they built this arch so they could then have ceremony below the arch and yeah. fuck you is the name of their God. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Like we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's a good way to put right? it. Right? Yeah, like I know. do. Like we have to have some respect for that. So I just love that part of your story. Like I know yeah. that wasn't your point, but I just think that's an interesting thing. No. And to um to be open to and 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 I think part of what draws us to us to these things is that they are the marks of human there and we have this we have this connection yeah to them in the past and into each other now and in the future yeah, yeah absolutely yeah it's yeah history's so important you know and all that like <laughs> that's a good take though like the you know like if it's you know Fuck you was here, you know, like, uh, you we know. see it all the time in this culture. That was a very important being. Yeah. Right. Or whatever the other ones would be. Yeah. Whatever the interpretation they have, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I think sometimes we'll take things like too serious, you know, in the black and white of history when it, you know, might not be. And we don't know because we weren't there, you know. Yeah. I heard like recently they were finding out there was more warrior Viking women than they, and they, not long ago they thought there, that didn't. That wasn't a thing. It was all male. But now they're finding there was, you know, warrior women in the Viking world. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you don't know, you know, like they were so sure of that for however long. And now, you know, like they're finding out that, oh, there's, there were some female warriors and here's proof, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, man, I think. We probably have rambled. And I was going to say, I think about wrapping what? it up. I, I know I got a ton, though, like that uh, we're kind of leaving out, but um I think it would probably be if you'd be game for part two because just like the you know the, the Bhutan stuff and mm -hmm. more of your you know outdoor adventure stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know the summits and um, yeah I, you know even like you know some of the like sweat lodge stuff you if you want to get into that and mm -hmm. what else am I leaving out? I know I'm leaving a pile of stuff out here because I like the Bhutan story because just a little teaser I guess for the next one if if your game is that the 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 threes that we're talking about three is kind of showing up in your life and how there was, you know, three times where you invited Bataan and like the time frame in between and just, I don't know, just yeah. like, I think it's just kind of interesting to see how that played out and how, um, I don't know, just how things work out, you know, they seem to like work out like with positive attitude and, and working and, and, you know, maybe just being a good person and pursuing whatever is most important, you know, like, cause you have more important things to do in the first invite, you know, and then the same thing happened again, you know, and then things just worked out and you ended up over there, you know. So I don't want to give. I'm already giving too much away, but um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if yeah if you game for that, maybe we'll yeah. wrap this one up and, and do a part two sometime. Sure. Oh, awesome. Thank you okay. so much, Amber. I appreciate. It. Um, so I guess folks who would be interested in your artwork, uh, you're on Instagram, Amber Jean. Yeah, Amber Jean Art on Instagram and Facebook. I haven't been on social media a lot. Um, yeah. My website's amberjean.com. And um, I'm going to be connecting with people more directly through that, like my newsletter and that kind of thing oh, as cool. well. And I might get back into social media more. It's just sometimes life pulls me other directions and, and um, or I'm so in, I've been so into just being in, in my life. I haven't been recording to share all the moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. 
No, you totally. Can find me out there. Yeah, yeah. Because I just think of people like are interested in some of your pieces and yeah. you know like to purchase and support you and what you do and um and then I I mean I don't know if it, I can give this that way but teasers like might have some of these available down mm-hmm. the road you know kind of a project you're working on right. yeah, yeah so and yeah uh, I can't wait for you to like put these up because I'm I'm definitely gonna buy one too <laughs> so <laughs> to display in the in the studio here um but yeah I appreciate you coming out uh taking time out of your day because I know like you and Raymond are super busy so the the tours this morning they get to know you a little better I mean mm-hmm. Awesome. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone tuning in and I hope you enjoyed. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.